Good morning. Job chapter 42 this morning. Before we get into the message, just a couple quick things. I know Dave had a lot to share with you too, just a couple more. Um, this coming Saturday, 11 o'clock here at the church is going to be a memorial service for Karen Murdahl. Some of you know her, some of you don't, but she uh, passed away several weeks ago and we're doing her memorial service at 11 o'clock here on Saturday. Sunday, as Dave said, is Communion Sunday. We're also going to be kicking off a new sermon series next Sunday we'll be telling you more about. Then the following Wednesday, the 24th of November, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we're having our annual Pie Fellowship the night of Wednesday. So if you'd like to be a part of that, please contact Amanda Mason, head of our hospitality ministry. Either see her, talk to her, email her. Uh, she's coordinating that for us. And then Friday after Thanksgiving on the 26th at 9 a.m. here at the church, we need your help decorating our church for the Christmas holidays. And we especially need not only the gals to show up, we need some men to show up. We've got some heavy, heavy lifting and some ladder work and that kind of stuff that needs to be done that it would be great to have some men here as well. So if you could help us out on Friday, November the 26th at 9 a.m. A lot going on during the holiday season, and we've got even more to tell you about starting next week. But uh, we want to finish up our series in Job, and can I say these seven weeks has flown by for me, and I'm sort of glad because this series in Job, I don't know about for you, but for me, it's been personally draining and emotional. And we come to the end of Job in Job 42, where hope returns to Job and to Job's situation. And I hope to sort of end our time in Job this morning on a high note, because that's really, I think, where God wants us to end today. And maybe you're not through your season of trial like Job is coming out of his, but God wants you to be encouraged no matter where you are in whatever season you are dealing with. Remember, trials are a dangerous time for our souls. Uh, the Bible tells us that through times of trial, pain, and suffering, just like Job went through, souls can become bitter. We can become disillusioned with our God. And we can let go of God, though God never lets go of us, we can let go of him. And that's one of the secrets of Job even getting to the place that he has and is right now is because he never let go of God, even when he was questioning God and couldn't understand what God was doing and where God was in all of this. There's no automatic benefit built into a trial, it's all based on our response. Same thing with this sermon series. There's no benefit to this sermon series that's automatically built in. It's how you and I respond to it or choose to respond to it. And again, we have seen that Job has continually held on to God throughout this horrific season in his life. And one of the things that Job has found is this. Knowing God is more important and essential than knowing why. In fact, even as Job begins to respond here, and as we see the things that Job has realized through this experience, both his suffering 
and the revelation of God in his life that all of this has taken place and it's not because Job has had all his questions answered by God. In fact, he hasn't. God hasn't answered any of his why questions. What Job has come to realize is he sees God in a greater way. He's, he's come to a greater realization of who God is. He's come to a greater comprehension and understanding. In a sense, here's what Job is saying to us. In our most baffling, perplexing seasons of life, the answer is God himself. The answer is not the answers from God, because God may not give us answers to all of our questions. But the answer will always be God himself. That's why you see, beginning in chapter 42, when Job answers the Lord after God has revealed himself, Job's words reveal the changes that this engagement and interaction and experience with God has produced in him. Job declares through this experience, both in his suffering and in this greater revelation with God, that he has a greater appreciation for God, a greater wonder of God, and a greater depth in God. Let's look at Job's realization here this morning. Job answered the Lord, I know, God, that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job is saying, God, you have the right and power to do anything that you want to do, and no one can stop you. Now, Job knew this before, according to the language here. But now, now through his experience and seeing God working in his life through this experience, He's now more glad than ever that this is true. It's like, God, I'm so glad that you are sovereign, that you are always on your throne, that you are always in control, that there's no one who's ever going to kick you off your throne. There's no one ever who's going to be in control like you. You're always going to be able to do anything you want, and no one can stop you. And Job says, I actually take comfort and encouragement in that. And I see that more now than I ever have, even through my experience of pain and suffering. And I have a greater appreciation for you, God, and for who you are, and realizing, God, that you are greater than my mind could ever conceive of you to be, and I'm okay with that. Then he says in verse 3, you asked, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? But I've declared without understanding things too wonderful for me to know. Not only does Job realize he has a greater appreciation for God, but he has a greater wonder of God. God's ways are too wonderful for him to totally understand. That's what he's saying in verse 3. 
God, I've gotten to a place where I'm more in awe and wonder of you than I've ever been before. I, I realized that, Lord, even if you tried to explain it to me in my finite humanness, I couldn't grasp it all. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind totally around it, God. So I've just got to learn, as we talked about last week, to rest in you and to trust you completely because you are a God of awe and wonder more incredible, more beyond me than I could ever imagine. And I don't need to try to bring you down and put you in a box and understand everything that you do. That would reduce you. I need to, instead of bringing you down to my level, I need to have enough faith to just let you be where you are. Hopefully throughout this series, all of us have grown in our appreciation for God. Even if we haven't necessarily learned anything new, we appreciate more what we already know about him. And second, that I hope that we've grown in our awe and wonder of God, realizing that we don't need to understand God or all the ways of God. That will always be beyond us. Even in eternity, even in heaven, there will be things about our God that drops us to our knees, that baffles us, that confounds us, because that's who God is, and that's who God will always be. He will always be on everything that he created, including us. Even in our glorified state, even in glory, God will always be surprising us. Job says, you said, pay attention and I will speak. I will question you and you will answer me. And then Job makes this statement. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye has seen you. Job has three realizations in these first few verses of chapter 42. A greater appreciation for God, a greater wonder of God, and now a greater depth in God. See, Job feels that now he really knows God in a much deeper way. It's like, yeah, my eye heard of you, but now my eye really sees you. There's a depth to my relationship to you and the way I relate to you that is new. And it's all because of the experience that I went through that I have gotten to this point. I think if we're all honest, Job being in this too, probably all of us would go, well, would I choose to go through such a horrific experience even though I knew it might be of great spiritual benefit to me? <laughs> if, if I knew that what I'm going to go through in my life that's really painful, but that through that, I'm going to have a greater appreciation for God. Through that, I'm going to have a greater wonder of God, and I'm going to have a greater depth in God. Would I still choose it, or would I run from it? God, knowing us, realizes that probably most of the time, if not all the time, we would never choose to go through those things even though they would provide such great spiritual benefit, which is why God is the one who has to be in control. And why we learn then even about God, that God 
is always about what is of eternal value more than what is of temporary value. And he's always about what is of greater spiritual benefit, even though physically I may have to go through some suffering. Because to God, the spiritual always outweighs the physical. And again, that's a tough one for us as Christians because most of the time, it's all about the physical with us, as we've talked about before. I mean, I've grown up in church. What do most Christians pray for each other for? Physical needs. That's usually the one thing that we pray about for ourselves and for others more than anything else is the physical. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying, just like with Paul and his thorn in the flesh, God says, your spiritual benefit, Paul, of keeping that thorn in your life is of greater importance than me healing you and taking the thorn away. And you and I, when we come to developing and, and, and shaping a heart of worship, we've got to get there if we're going to have a heart of worship for God at all times and through all things because there's going to be times where physically we may be going through seasons of pain and suffering, whatever, but spiritually we could always look at it that this could be of great spiritual benefit for me and maybe for others around me, and I've got to be okay with that. And I've got to realize that even through this pain and suffering that God is allowing in my life, it's not for my detriment. Ultimately, it's for my benefit and for my spiritual profit. And through this, whatever it is, I, like Job, can get a greater appreciation for God, have a greater wonder of God, and have a greater depth in God because of what I've gone through. And when you and I get closer to God, we also start seeing ourselves for who we really are. That's why I like to encourage Christians, especially young Christians, who might say, Pastor, I, I just feel like such a sinner lately. Are you growing? Yeah, I'm growing spiritually, but I just feel like, man, I'm just so sensitive to the sin in, in my life. And I said, that's good. That's a sign you're getting closer to a holy God because the closer we get to God, the more we see ourselves, the more we should be growing in humility, not pride. And that's exactly where Job's at. Notice what he says in verse 6. After all he says about God, then he says, therefore... I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes because he's ashamed of the things that he's thought and the things that he said about God, and he's sorry for them now because he realizes he was saying them out of ignorance. And the more he came to understand God, the more he saw his own deficiency and how much he needed God, you see. That's where God wants to get all of us. Again, to humble us and just have all of us put ourselves in our rightful place. We are of great value and significance to God, but sometimes, as we've said, we get too big for our britches, and we think we know more than what we really do. And God then has to put us in a place where we realize, oh my goodness, he's God, I'll never be God. I need to, as Job says, put my hand over my mouth and keep my mouth shut because all I'm saying is just revealing my ignorance and lack of understanding. 
And that's where Job was. So we see Job even testifying to the fact that though he's went through this terrible season in his life, loss of all material things, loss of 10 children, loss of his own personal health with this terrible disease, loss of support from his friends and even his wife, through all of that, Job says, but you know what? As he said earlier, if God tests me, I'm going to come forth like gold. And Job was testifying to that. He was giving evidence of that in his own life by sharing what he did. But that's not even how the story of Job ends. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 42, we begin to see the Lord's response in all of this. And I want you to see this morning that the Lord did four things for Job that he also will do for us throughout our lives. He will vindicate us, he will restore us, he will bless us, and he will fulfill us. Notice, first of all, in verse 7, God begins to vindicate Job. This is something that Job has been seeking all along. Because remember, Job hasn't really done anything to deserve all the suffering that he went through. And yet, because of his friends' bad theology and faulty theology, they were saying, Job, you've got to be the worst person that's ever lived because you're suffering so terribly. The only thing that can account for that is that you must have done something to deserve all this because in our theology, kindness and goodness is always rewarded and sin is always punished and you're being terribly punished. So you must be a terrible sinner. Notice what God says of Job, first of all. In verse 7, twice, no, three times in verse 8, God calls Job, my servant. My servant. That's how God always saw Job, as his servant. And there could be no, to me, more dignified uh, title of honor that you and I could have and that we are simply a servant of the Lord. What is it that you and I are going to want to hear one day from Jesus? Well done, good and faithful what? Servant. Servant. Part of developing a heart of worship is realizing that the greatest thing we could ever be is just to be God's servant every day. Lord, here I am. I make myself available. What do you want of me today? What do you need me to do today? Who do you need me to be today, God? I'm here just making myself available to you. That was Job. He was God's servant even throughout all of this. When his friends were telling Job that he was this terrible, you know, wicked sinner, he was still God's servant. But notice it says in verse 7, after the Lord had spoken these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, my anger is stirred up against you and your two friends because you've not spoken about me what is right as my servant Job has. Ooh. God says, I take exception to the things that you said when you were trying to be a comfort and an encouragement to your friend Job. You spoke inaccurately about me. You spoke things that were incorrect about me. You misrepresented me. And this reminds us how important it is of what we believe and that we need to make sure that what we are speaking into other people's lives and what we are teaching others and what we are trying to, you know, strengthen others with and all of that is biblically accurate. 
and that, that the information that we are passing along is an accurate representation of who our God is, not an inaccurate representation, because God takes exception to being misrepresented, just like you and I would. We don't like it when other people say things about us that we know is not true and that they're misrepresenting who we are. Well, guess what? God is holy. God is perfect. God has no sin in him at all. And God's ways are always right and always good and all of that. And yet many times God gets the blame. Or God is viewed in a way that he should not be viewed in. And therefore, this is a cautionary tale to us to make sure that when we are speaking to ourselves even about God and the ways of God, and then especially speaking into other people's lives, that we are saying things that are accurate and are correct. Because God takes exception if it's not. He says in verse 8, I want you all, you three friends, to take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. You need it. <laughs> and my servant Job will intercede for you, and I will respect him so that I do not deal with you according to your folly because you've not spoken about me what is right. Second time God said that. As my servant Job has. God is vindicating Job. Listen. God promises to vindicate his children. Now, it may not come in the timing that we want. In fact, it may not come until eternity. It may not come in our lifetime, but there will be a time where God will vindicate our faith in him and our trust in him. And God needs us to get there so that we have a heart of worship that understands that God one day will make all things right again in his time. And we need to rest in that and trust in that and develop a heart of worship out of that, just as God did for Job, God will do for us one day. So the Bible says in verse 9, they went and they all went and did just as the Lord had told them and the Lord had respect for Job. Now, God not only vindicates Job, notice God restores Job, verse 10. The Lord restored what Job had lost. But notice, after he had prayed or interceded for his friends and offered offerings for them. Ooh. God wanted to make sure, in a sense, the genuineness of the transformation or change that had come about in Job's life. See, Job had to get to a place, just like God would forgive what Job's friends did, Job had to get to a place where if he was truly going to have a heart of worship, he couldn't have this thing against his friends hang in there. No. He needed to forgive his friends for what they had said about him and did to him. He needed to let that go and release it so that his heart of worship could be free to worship God. He could not be asking God for grace and then not give grace 
to his friends who had wronged him and hurt him. And so God says, I want to restore you, Job, but you've got to do this first. I've got to see that you're also willing to forgive those who've hurt and injured you just like you have done in your life. See, sometimes God wants to see, are we willing to do for others as we expect God to do for us? You see that correlation in that relationship. But I want to talk for a moment about this word restored. It literally means to begin building back up. And God wants to do this in all of our lives. First of all, God wants to build our lives up. But there may be times, and we've sung about this, and we've seen this in the book of Job, where God may also choose to take away as well as give. But here's what you and I need to be resolved in. If God chooses to thin our ranks, if you will, take things away from us, it is only temporary. It is only to provide maybe even a greater foundation in order to build us back up eventually. It's never to take away and never be built back up. It's always to take away in order to get, get us even to a better place where the things that God then begins to pour into our life has a greater foundation to it spiritually a greater ability and capacity to be able to handle it and be entrusted with the things that God wants to pour back into our lives. God wants to build up our lives, but God may again choose to take things away from us first. But again, it's never permanent. God always will do that in order to provide a place where he can build us back up even stronger than before. And you and I have to understand that part of our God as well. A God who vindicates and a God who restores. I've seen it in my life. I'm sure you've seen it in your life. There's certain seasons of our life that, you know, maybe you're having things taken away more than things coming back at you. But then there's seasons where it just seems like, oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm getting back now, and it's not just giving out. In fact, notice what verse 10 says. The Lord doubled, not just gave back, the Lord doubled all that he had that belonged to Job. No one can outgive God. No one can outgive God. God said, Job, I know I took a lot away from you, but guess what? I'm going to give it back to you in spades. I'm going to double it. In fact, we read over in verse 12, he gave him 14,000 sheep instead of 7,000. He gave him 6,000 camels instead of 3,000. He gave him 1,000 yoke of oxen instead of 500. And he gave him 1,000 female donkeys instead of 500. By the way, why female being mentioned here? Because the females were more valuable. Y'all are going, we knew that. <laughs> Double what Job had. So they came to him. 
Verse 11, all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before, and they dined with him in his house, and they comforted him and consoled him for all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Listen, here's what I want you to know today. No matter what you and I go through, through holding on to the Lord like Job did and through the help of others, you and I can get through anything. I hope you believe that. Through holding on to God and the help of others, you and I can get through anything. If Job can get through what he went through, then you and I can get through what life will bring us as well, which leads me to the third thing we see that the Lord did for Job here and wants to do for us, and that is the Lord blessed Job, verse 12. He not only vindicated Job, And not only restored Job, he blessed Job, and he blessed the second part of Job's life even more than the first. God is a God of blessing. God wants to bless his people. That's who God is. And let's remember what it is to be blessed by God. It is God entrusting us with what is of greatest value and worth. That's what it means to receive the blessing of God. It doesn't always mean to be healthy. It doesn't always mean that we get materially and physically all the things that we want. What it does mean is that God wants to get us in a place where he can entrust us with what is of greatest value and worth. And he wants to pour those blessings out into our life. And he wants to put us in a position where we learn to manage those blessings in order then to receive even more blessings. To see that As God says, I see that you have been faithful in a few things. Now I'm going to make you manager over many things. That's how God works. Just as a parent, a wise parent, gives little responsibilities to their children and see, can can you handle this? Oh, good, you've proven you can handle this. Then I'm going to give you a little bit more. And then I'm going to give you a little bit more if you've proven you can handle that. But if you can't handle that, then I'm not going to give you more until you show me that you can handle that. God works the same way. God says, I want to give you more that's of greatest worth and value, but you've got to show me that you can handle what I've already given you and that you're faithful to that. The blessing of God. God wants to bless our lives. But we've got to show God that we are faithful to what he's already given us so that we can receive more blessings from the Lord. And those blessings are not always physical, material things. In fact, the things of greatest worth and value are not physical and material, which is why sometimes Christians even struggle with, I'm not being blessed by God. What do you mean? Because you're measuring blessing of God strictly with physical and material things. And things of greatest worth and value aren't temporal. They're eternal. Things that will last for all of eternity. Well, then notice verse 13. He had seven sons and three daughters. He lost 10, now he's got 10 back. And very interestingly, instead of talking about the seven sons, God wants to talk about the daughters. And they're named. And their names are beautiful names. The first one means a dove. The second one means cinnamon. 
And the third means a highly prized eyeshadow. And notice, God says, there were no more beautiful girls in all the land than Job's daughters. And then don't miss this. Job does something for these gals that was unheard of in Job's day. In fact, unheard of in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament when Jesus was here. And that is that girls would get an inheritance? Yeah. Notice, Job granted an inheritance alongside their brothers. Equal. Showing their value. Not only to God, but their value to their father, Job. And then the Bible says, after this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So Job died old and full of days. Through everything that Job went through, Job had a greater appreciation for God, a greater wonder of God, and he had a greater depth in God. And he saw God working in his life. He saw the vindication of the Lord, the restoration of the Lord, the blessing of the Lord, but he also saw the fulfillment of the Lord because that word full there, Job was full of days, doesn't just mean numerically that Job lived a long life. It is a word in the Hebrew language that speaks about being fulfilled and satisfied. And what God is saying through his word here about Job's life is, I'm the only one that could fulfill and satisfy Job. And I am the only one that can fulfill and satisfy any human heart. The only way you and I will be fulfilled and satisfied in this life and throughout eternity is when we center ourselves in God and when we become a fully devoted, energetic, enthusiastic worshiper of our God. That's how we are fulfilled and satisfied, in Him. We won't always get the answers that we want or desire. And God won't always answer all of our questions, but the answer to everything and anything is God. He's the answer. Now, something else I want you to see this morning before we wrap this up. Notice, God always writes the last chapter God wrote the last chapter of Job's life. God always does. God, because he's sovereign, he always has the last word. I want you to be encouraged by that in your own life. God will write the last chapter of your life and my life. God will be the one that has the last word. Not our circumstances, not our trial, not our pain, not our suffering, not others, not what others think of us, all of that. God will be the one that writes the last chapter of our lives. He will have the last word. And when you think about that, even in the last chapter of the Bible, the book of Revelation, we certainly get a contrast, don't we, to what Job was dealing with in his life. Job was going through death and pain and suffering. And yet God says in the last book of the Bible, in the last chapter of the Bible, God says, I will wipe every tear away from your eyes one day. And one day there will be no more death, no more pain, no more suffering. 
If you've been around the Oasis, you've heard me say this many times, but it bears repeating this morning in this message. Whatever terrible circumstances and situations you and I may go through in our life, what terrible seasons of suffering and pain you and I may go through, it is the only hell you and I will ever know. Think about the opposite of that. For those that do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and who continue to push him away and reject him and his love for them in their life, Whatever good they experience in this very brief life on earth is the only heaven they will ever know. God writes the last chapter. God has the last word. Be encouraged by that today. If Job can make it through, you and I can make it. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. You guys can stay seated for just a moment. I don't know what each of you may be dealing with or going through in your lives right now. Some of you may feel like you've been knocked down. Maybe you feel defeated. Maybe you feel like there's people in your life who are piling on. <laughs> All of that. What I want to invite you to do today. God in his word talks a lot about standing. Maybe we fall down. Maybe we've been knocked down. God is always about standing with his people. Even in that great passage in Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about that great spiritual struggle and, and battle and spiritual warfare, he says, all God expects of us is that we stand is that we don't stay down and that we don't allow our situations and our circumstances or other people to defeat us or define us. But like Job, we just hold on to God and with God and with the help of others, we say, I'm standing. I'm not going to allow this thing or this person to be my defeat. I'm not going to allow this situation to be what defeats me and defines me, my life. I'm going to trust that God writes the last chapter and has the last word of my life, and I'm going to stand. If there'd be anybody like that today, you just want to make a, a, a statement in the house of God, before God and before your brothers and sisters in Christ, and say, I'm standing. I, I'm not letting what is happening to me or what has happened to me be what defeats me and defines me in my life. I'm, I'm standing up. Would you just stand right now, wherever you're at? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We're going to sing a song called The Stand. And I think it's a, it's a great declaration for us at the end of this series on Job to say, God, if you test me, I'm coming forth like gold. I may feel like I'm in the furnace. I may feel like I've gotten knocked down and all of that, but I'm going to come forth 
better than ever, just like Job did. So let's sing this as a testimony to our God and to what God can do in our life. Amen?